moving into episode 28 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. If you or somebody that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. Welcome again to a video edition of The Virtual Couch. Um, I'm continuing to uh, experiment with the recording methods, and I can tell this one already, I've got a nice glare in my glasses. Um, but I, I'm, I'm grateful to be with you. I have been neglecting, I get so excited to get to my interviews, my topics, that sort of thing, that I actually have been neglecting to get to some of the real quick things like continue to send in your questions. Um, I have a lot of questions. Actually, today's show is because I have received so many questions about a topic that has been brought up a couple of times. Um, the episode with Derek Westman in Japan with Sean Davis doing some couples counseling, this concept of imposter syndrome. And I think it's pretty fascinating. So we're going to get to that a little bit later today. Um, but also, please uh, feel free to visit virtualcouch.xyz. There are all of the episodes there if you are a non-Apple or Apple podcast or iTunes kind of person. Um, if you are a podcast listener on your Apple device, on your iPhone, or on a Mac or PC through iTunes, um, please subscribe and rate, review, share, all those wonderful things. That's a way to, to, to spread the love, and it, uh, it kind of helps me have a little more exposure, which leads me to better guests. So I'm always grateful for any reviews. Um, and uh, ratings, subscriptions, that sort of thing. And I, I am so bad at this, but yes, there is now a virtual couch account on Instagram and uh, trying to work with a couple of folks who are, are volunteering to um, do some of that work for me because, uh, boy, you throw a couple of hashtags on there and, and all of a sudden you've got a whole lot of traffic. And so I know that can bring people to the virtual couch as well. Um, but find that and like that, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. And uh, also my Facebook page, Tony Overbay, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. And there I typically upload um, information about the podcast and that sort of thing. And I, and I need to do more there too, a little more interactive there as that continues to grow. Um, and as per usual, the wonderful guests coming up. Matter of fact, later this week is an amazing guest that I recorded an episode a couple of weeks ago. So um, I'm going to release that episode on Wednesday or Thursday. And uh, and just a, a couple of people that I've, I've booked now are confirmed that we're just trying to work out logistics um, that I'm just, I cannot wait to bring to the virtual couch. Uh, one person is someone that people have been telling me, have you heard of this person? Have you heard of this person? And so I reached out to her and um, she couldn't have been more than uh, wonderful and accommodating. And so we're trying to get that one on um, scheduled pretty soon too. That was ambiguous, right? How about that? Uh, all right, quick bit of business. If you look in the background over there, over my shoulder, I have three tubs of Eli's extracts. That's the all natural organic shaving cream and use code virtual couch, all one word at uh, elis-extracts.com. Get 25% off your entire order. And also the fine folks at Covenant Eyes. If you visit Covenant Eyes, that's an internet filtering and monitoring software and use coupon code uh, virtualcouch, all one word there as well. And, um, and then they actually give a little something back to the Virtual Couch podcast, which helps with hosting fees and equipment and all that wonderful stuff. And I didn't point this out last time. I love the fact that somebody had pointed this out. I believe that uh, there's a plant in the background which is uh, thanks to one of my just wonderful clients who said that uh, needed a little more real plants. I guess I'm, you're looking at a fake tree 
over my left shoulder if you're watching the video of this. Um, but uh, over to the right by the elephant in the room is the plant. Um, so that is a real live plant. I'm grateful for that. And, uh, and just um, the more people are looking on the shelf, I'm going to lean over one more there that there's a there's a 50 minute sand timer that I think is one of the coolest gifts my wife got me for Christmas. And so that's been kind of fun, too. Uh, all right. Hey, let's get to the topic today. Right. So on the episode with Derek Westman, um, who was talking about being in Japan, and we were talking a lot about him. Um, being able to translate in real time and he's interacting with medical professionals and all these different arenas of business that he didn't have uh, much experience in, but he was the man he was translating. And, and, you know, when I've watched my, I've done a lot of business in Japan and when my partners have translated there, you know, they aren't just translating. They, excuse excuse me. Um, sounds like I'm getting choked up, right? They're not just translating. Uh, no, but they're not just translating, but they are, uh, they are also, they, they kind of get involved with the business. And so Derek had talked about kind of feeling at times like he's this imposter that people are going to come up and tap him on the shoulder and say, you know, everything you've been saying right now is completely false. And all of a sudden he will be void of a career and, and that sort of thing. And I think Sean Davis talked about it. Uh, the, the acclaimed and wonderful couples counselor that I had on, on with me early on that uh, at times as a therapist in particular, you feel pretty good about um, helping people. That's, that's the, your passion. That's why you're here. Um, you, you do your best to train and stay on top of, of all the best evidence-based um, modalities to help individuals and couples in anxiety and depression, you name it. And, uh, but then at times when you, when you're working with somebody, it's a vulnerable um, moment. And, and sometimes you, you think, man, what am I doing? You know, somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, you totally messed that one up. And I'm not saying that therapists by any sort of the imagination have everything figured out or perfect or that sort of thing. But man, we are trying hard um, in the best interest of our clients. And even a couple of my latest podcasts, episode 25 and 26, the nurtured heart approach, which is for parenting and EFT, which is for couples. Those are my soapbox speeches. I could not wait to give those um, those podcasts and, and they have been well received. I'm so grateful for that because that is what I'm passionate about. But, uh, every now and again, I think, okay, what, what if I'm wrong with all this couple's communication? What if it is better to bury yourself down in a bunker and wait till the other person comes out, which I know it's not right, but that's that concept of an imposter syndrome. So, so where does imposter syndrome come from? I have a couple of things I want to share. Um, one of them is one of my go-to books and I promise you, I had a copy of this as of last Friday, and I just had a, a client that I just felt impressed to, to give that copy to. So um, I had or tried to get a hold of the book earlier, um, but it's called The Happiness Trap, and it's by Russ Harris. And The Happiness Trap is a book about what's called ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. I absolutely love acceptance and commitment therapy. So there's a couple of kind of go-to fundamentals in the therapy world. One of them is CBT, which is called Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And I was a, a trained cognitive behavioral therapist for the first many years of my career. And I can still do CBT um, um, often, and it works. Um, so CBT is a, kind of a formula where your thoughts, in essence, lead to your emotions and your emotions lead to your behaviors. So we get in there and we dig deep. And we try to figure out where those automatic thoughts come from. You sometimes hear this phrase, ants, automatic negative thoughts. We're going to identify the ants. We're going to stomp out those ants. And, uh, and if we can kind of um, change what those, those automatic thoughts, the intensity that they bring into our lives, 
Uh, if we kind of can tell a different story, then that would lead to a different emotion, which would lead to a different behavior. It's really nice to do in a session. You can identify, you know, what are you feeling in this moment when you're trying to interact with somebody or do something? And if you feel like, well, that won't work or they're, they probably don't like me, you can kind of go in and look at where that comes from um, in your own life and you can kind of challenge those automatic negative thoughts. The problem I found, um, and, it, and it does work, it works and it, and it takes a lot of work and practice. Um, but the problem I find is that often you can have somebody leave the room and they feel really excited, but they get in that moment and somebody has said something to them or, or has, you know, they're, they're caught up in an event where they feel a certain way. And now they're trying to think, okay, Tony said, uh, what's a different reason that this could be happening right now? Maybe the voice in my head is not correct. But then at that moment, often I've, I, a lot of my clients are reported that then the voice is like, no, no, it is correct this time, which does not change their emotion or does not change their behavior. So again, CBT is wonderful and it takes a lot of work and practice and it can do amazing things. And there are times now where I still use CBT, but I'm a big fan of this acceptance and commitment therapy act, ACT. Acceptance and commitment therapy says um, you're, you're human to have the thoughts or feelings that you do when you come into a particular moment based on all of the bags that you carry to that situation, right? All the experiences that have happened in your life. So if you are feeling stressed or worried or depressed or anxious, um, it's okay to have those feelings. They make sense. You're human. If you didn't have them, you would be robotic or, or that sort of thing. So, but what do we do with those thoughts? What is productive with that thought? So acceptance and commitment therapy does a nice job of kind of changing the relationship with your thoughts, uh, being able to put a little bit of distance there, uh, some really quick examples. And I'm going to do more on acceptance and commitment therapy in the future, but kind of setting the table for this imposter syndrome and the book Happiness Trap. So um, what happens often is, uh, you know, you're going to feel this feeling and it's okay. But let's say the, an example I like to give is if somebody just says, you know, I'm dumb, right? Um, is that a very productive thought? Nope. Kind of can make you feel down. And if you ruminate on that the rest of the day or the week, uh, you're going to get pretty down on yourself. And over time, it's going to cause you to pull away from people or things or feel like you can't uh, take on certain goals or challenges. So what acceptance commitment therapy would say, and I just pulled that one out of my hat, I have to admit, is, I know it sounds pretty harsh, like dumb is a pretty big word. Um, it, it carries a lot with it. But acceptance commitment therapy would say, you know, you're going to put a little distance there. Maybe, you know, I feel dumb or even more distance there is I notice I am feeling dumb or I notice I am feeling dumb when. And I, I'm telling you, there is a lot of power there. I'm dumb. I mean, that is, uh, that is, that is brutal. That's harsh, right? But let's say that you are um, interacting among a bunch of, I don't know, Harvard uh, PhDs and they're talking about molecular biology. Tell you what, I'm going to be around those guys. I am going, I will notice that I am feeling like an idiot in those situations, right? Um, but is that a productive thought? Um, am I trying to impress them? Am I trying to go into the world of molecular biology? No. So of course, I'm going to feel that way. Um, but is that thought productive? It's not. I'm going to move that one on through. Um, but so we'll, you know, we'll do more with that. And, and you probably heard me say those kind of phrases before. But let's get to imposter syndrome. So I set the table with all of that because that's all part of this book, The Happiness Trap, this acceptance and commitment therapy, this learning to challenge the relationship that we have with our thoughts. So um, in The Happiness Trap, and I do have some notes, so you're going to see me kind of look a little bit down here off camera. Um, in The Happiness Trap, uh, Russ Harris um, talks about this concept that, that thoughts are basically, they are, they're stories. And I absolutely love that. So thoughts are just a bunch of words that are strung together that tell us something. But then if thoughts are just stories, then how do we know which ones to believe, right? That's the hard part. We talked a little bit about mindfulness and some of the other 
um, podcast. And if you kind of just sit and observe your thoughts, your thoughts can go all over the place. You can have a million different stories that your mind is telling you. So how do you know which ones to believe? Um, so according to the happiness trap, uh, Dr. Harris says there are three parts to this answer. And he said, first of all, be weary of holding on to any of these beliefs too tightly. Um, he talked about how our beliefs can change over time. Uh, some simple examples of that is, for instance, at some point, and if you have kids in the car, maybe you can plug up their ears here, right? Uh, no, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to throw out a, a bunch of obscenities, but I'm about to say, at some point you believed in Santa Claus, uh, the Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, maybe dragons, goblins, vampires, that sort of thing. Um, and over time, people will change these beliefs or opinions or whether it's on politics or, or religion or careers or, you know, those are going to change. So I think number one is it's important to know that be aware, be weary of hanging on to any belief too tightly. Uh, it's always good to throw a little bit of a, you know, why am I, why am I feeling this way? Why do I believe the things I do kind of to, to try to understand more about your beliefs and where they come from? Um, so by all means, have your beliefs. Those are important. Those are who make up who we are, but, but kind of, you know, hang on to them a little bit lightly at times. Keep in mind that, the, that these beliefs that we have are stories, whether or not they're true, um, you know, we even have different versions of these uh, stories in our head, even on some similar beliefs. We might share a belief with someone, but even our version of that is different. And it's colored a little bit by the experiences that have kind of brought us up to that moment in our life. So second, and I love this one. This is a big one that uh, I use often. Second, uh, Dr. Harris says, if a thought helps you create a rich, full and meaningful life, then use it. Right. But thought helps you create. I, that's mine where I, I put all my thoughts through the, is that productive filter? Is that a productive thought? Does that get me closer toward my personal core values, goals, or beliefs? Those can be religious beliefs, you know, spiritual beliefs, uh, um, um, beliefs about parenting, beliefs about marriage, beliefs about you name it. If, if that thought gets me closer to that belief or that core belief, then that is a productive thought. If not, um, it's just one of these stories that's going through my head. I need to get that through. I need to move it on through my head. So um, Dr. Harris says, talk about, he talks about if the thought helps you create rich, full, and meaningful life, use it, pay attention to it, use it for guidance and motivation. At the same time, remember, it's still just a story, right? A bit of human language. So use it, but don't hang on to it too tightly. Third, in acceptance and commitment therapy, um, we're urged to pay careful attention to what is actually happening. Here's where we start to move a little bit into that, the world of uh, mindfulness and being present. So pay attention to what's happening. These stories that we tell ourselves in our head are often, uh, they're about just beliefs we've had or things that have happened in the past or whatever, um, but they're not about what's happening in, in, right now. And that leads to, and here's where Dr. Harris says, for example, you may have heard of, cue the ominous music, the imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is where somebody can do their job competently, effectively, but then they believe they're just an imposter. And, and I have to throw this out um, that I, I have been so blessed in my practice. I don't know if, uh, you know, the male therapist in me, the, um, but I, I've just gotten to work with so many interesting um, male males in uh, pretty interesting positions. I've worked with um, professional athletes, college athletes, politicians, uh, many, many CEOs of companies, doctors, lawyers, uh, first responders, um, you know, you name it. And what I love about the, you know, working with people like that the most is that when they come in here, they often carry with them some of this imposter syndrome. You know, if people knew that I, I felt these way, this way, or if I was as vulnerable as I was, then, you know, my, my staff or my constituents or my teammates wouldn't believe in me. Um, but yet, 
the theme that's kind of running through all of those is the fact that we all at times feel like we are imposters or that we're going to get tapped on the shoulder and somebody's going to say, uh, yeah, excuse me, but, uh, I don't think you really belong here. Are those, those, uh, you know, the things that you are, um, that you're sharing aren't necessarily the truth, you know, that sort of thing. Pardon me while I drink a little water here. So, um, Dr. Harris tells a little story I want to share. Um, well, let me even back up there. So people with imposter syndrome, and I go back to like what's happening now, uh, they are not paying enough attention to their direct experience, the clearly observable facts that they are doing their job effectively. Um, do they still have their job? Uh, do people admire them? Do people, But even then, we can be in danger of those negative stories. Uh, here's where, and, and I, I so do not want to sound like I think that I have things figured out, because I do not. But I, I love doing this podcast. I'm passionate about this podcast. It still makes me super uncomfortable when people approach me and say, I love the podcast or I like this particular episode or that sort of thing. And uh, I feel like that's the point where, oh, wait a minute, you can listen, but don't interact with me because then you're going to find out I'm a total fraud. I'm not going to know what to say, you know? Um, but yet, you know, the, the more uh, blessed and, and grateful I am at watching the, the numbers grow and, and seeing the different countries and uh, places that the podcast goes, it, it's, it's uh, still scary that at some point somebody's going to, I'm going to get a letter in the mail and it's going to say, all right, you're done. Um, you know, you really didn't kind of know what you were talking about. So we're going to pull this from you. So uh, Russ Harris said, in my early years as a doctor, I had a bad case of imposter syndrome. He said, if one of my patients said, thank you, you're a wonderful doctor. I used to think, yeah, right. You wouldn't say that if you knew what I'm really like. Um, he said, I can never accept such compliments because in reality, uh, even though he did his job well, his mind kept telling him that he was useless and he believed it. Um, how many of you had that experience, whether it's as a parent, whether it's as uh, in a couple's relationship, whether it's in a, a church calling, whether it's at work, you know, whatever it is, um, even volunteer organizations or volunteer positions where we think that, man, if people really knew what was going on here, they would not give me these compliments or this praise. Um, he said whenever he made a mistake, no matter how trivial, two words would automatically blaze in his head, I'm incompetent. Um, and, and he said, sometimes he would argue with that point. Sometimes he would have good days where he'd remind himself of all the positive feedback that he received. Uh, but then he would, it, it, that those negative voices would still kind of come in at times. Um, he said, none of that, the challenging, you know, the positive affirmations at the time or that sort of thing, none of them really scratched that itch or got rid of the negative thoughts or stopped it from bothering him. Uh, and he went on to say that the same two words often still pop up when he makes a mistake, but the difference is now they don't bother him because he doesn't take them seriously. And this is the part where I'm trying to get to. I am a work in progress with this. I have to tell you, because uh, take that podcast example. I love, I love doing the podcast. I love talking about parenting and couples communication and interviewing interesting guests. And so when I have these thoughts or feelings at times where, you know, people are going to think that uh, it's just ridiculous that who does he think he is putting on this podcast and they can, he, you know, he can um, try to make a difference or anything. I have to just tell myself, we go back to that. Is that a productive thought? It's not. It's really not. It doesn't hold back to my core values or beliefs, you know, of uh, feeling like um, this is something that I, that I love to do, was called to do, um, need to do. So the fact is that, we, you know, we go back to this point where we don't choose most of the thoughts that are ahead. We do choose a small number of them. I want to make that clear. When we talk about observing our thoughts and our thoughts can go all over the map, um, of course, we choose some of those. That's our whole goal is trying to take more control of the thoughts that we can choose and, and give less power to the ones that just kind of pop in there at any given moment. Go back. I threw a note in my notes here. Uh, go back and listen to a podcast in the Wayback Machine about inappropriate thought syndrome, unwanted thoughts. Uh, that is one of the most. I mean, there's some of these from that, that have been downloaded uh, so many more times than I felt like they ever would. And I think that's one of those where I think a lot of us connect on is that we all have these inappropriate or unwanted or, you know, scary or horrific or anything thoughts. 
Um, and, and to kind of uh, spoiler alert back from that episode, I talked about there's a concept called inappropriate thought syndrome, where we do identify everybody has the thoughts just because they ha- you have them doesn't mean that you're going to act on them, that they are you. And the best part is third, third point of that is thought suppression doesn't work. So every time you tell yourself what's wrong with me for thinking this thought, I always say that your brain has a little uh, poster board and he holds up the, oh, this thought, right? And then, uh, and then you're like, ah, I can't think that. And then it's, the brain goes back to, oh, you mean this one? You know, and so the brain just, so instead learning how to change that relationship with your thought to just say, yeah, I see what you're doing there, brain. That one's not working on me. Not today. You know, hit the bricks. Uh, so, so that imposter syndrome, um, then just again, it, and it can happen in any, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be CEO of a company. Um, imposter syndrome comes when, and, and I ran into this a little bit this week and I am so grateful for someone who had opened up to me. Then they were saying that they had listened to these two episodes, the one on EFT, where they were going to try to communicate better with their partner and their family. And the one about nurtured heart approach where they were going to try to be a better parent. And even there, imposter syndrome is kind of knocking on the door saying, uh, no, 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 that's not you. You're not that parent. You know, you, you are the parent who flips their lid and can't kind of keep their stuff together. And you are the spouse who, you know, is, uh, is gonna, gonna, you know, pity and guilt and shame their way into a better relationship, you know, see how that works. Right. So uh, imposter syndrome can come about in any any when people diet, right? Uh, I love this one. I remember um, one of the first successful people I worked with is with regard to kind of um, food and uh, and not anorexia, bulimia, that sort of thing. But it was more of around their relationship with food. And I know that they were kind of saying, "But I'm not that person that I see the Instagram before and after photos of that loses all this weight. I'm not that person. I'm the one who continually tries to diet and then fails." So that's even an imposter syndrome, because if all of a sudden you are that person um, and you're doing this thing, you still feel like somebody's going to, you know, come on and knock on the door and they're going to say, wait, 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 you're the one that fails on your diet. Remember, whoever you're being right now is an imposter. And I have to tell you this train of thought. Here's my I'm taking on my train of thought. Um, A couple of times I've had people where I will recommend this happiness trap book often and often I'll have copies in my office and I will hand it out. And I will tell you too, if you go look up the happiness trap, there's a, the happiness trap and it has a picture of a smiley face on it, which is wonderful. There's also one that's a blue cover and it's an illustrated happiness trap book. And I have started buying those. It's the same concepts of the happiness trap, but it's basically cartoons. I mean, it's, it's, but it's, yeah, I don't know, it's one of the best uh, kind of renditions like that that I've ever seen. But if you are a words person, um, grab the real book, the happiness trap. But if not, that illustrated guide is perfectly wonderful and fine. Uh, but a lot of people, I will get a text at some point, and I actually went back and looked at one earlier today just to kind of get myself pumped about this point, was I've had a couple of people that will start to make some change. So they're depressed or uh, working through depression or anxiety, one of these things. We try to work on their emotional baseline, try to kind of build that up a little bit. And we try to say, hey, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? And a lot of times now we're fighting against those. Well, I want to do this, but I know that everyone will tell me that's wrong or that I shouldn't want to do that. So then we get rid of like, hey, we don't want people to be should on and, and let's see what you know is right for you. And then when people start pursuing those dreams, then comes in the imposter syndrome. And I had a wonderful, wonderful client who wanted to get in really, really good shape, but they were so worried that that would mean that they would be viewed as prideful and that they would, you know, this sort of thing. But meanwhile, they were so down and negative, but then they just jumped on board, went all in with nutrition and exercise and fitness and had just, they transformed their lives. And, uh, and so that was one where I remember getting a text from this person and it was literally the picture of the chapter that I'm talking about here um, about the uh, um, imposter syndrome in the book, The Happiness Trap. And they just said, this is me. And, uh, and I've had that 
literally that same experience several times where somebody texts me and they just say, I just read this point about imposter syndrome. That's me. I want these things, but I feel like if I try to do these things that it's, this is not me and, and everybody's going to know it and they're going to call me out on it. And then, uh, and then I'm going to feel silly. So, um, so that's not the case. Those are just some automatic negative thoughts and we want to, we want to move through them. Right. Okay. So let me jump over to one more study and I'll hit this one kind of quick and we'll end this podcast in relatively short fashion. Uh, there was an article in the, um, it's called fast company, the magazine fast company. And it's called, uh, let's see the muse. Um, it talks about the, and this is by Melody Wilding. want to give her credit. And Melody is actually quoting a book by, uh, Valerie Young. The book is called the secret thoughts of successful women, why capable people suffer from the imposter syndrome and how to thrive in spite of it. And so it says Young builds on decades of research, studying fraudulent feelings among high achievers. And again, I will maintain it does not have to be, you do not have to be a high achiever, a politician, a captain of industry to feel this imposter syndrome and take something from this podcast. So uh, in the article, um, Melody says, the psychological phenomenon known as imposter syndrome reflects, reflects a belief that you are inadequate and an incompetent failure despite evidence that indicates you're skilled and, uh, and quite competent or quite successful. So I want to just quickly go through these five. Um, this is back to Valerie Young in the book. She categorized into five sub, subgroups, the perfectionist, the superwoman or superman, the natural genius, the rugged individualist, and the experts. Let's hit these really quick. So the first one, the perfectionist. Um, and, and many of you can maybe understand how this would come into play with imposter syndrome. Uh, perfectionism and imposter syndrome go hand in hand. So, so think about this. The perfectionist is going to set their goals extremely high. And when they fail to reach a goal, um, and I'm, I'm talking, they, they set it so high that when they fail to reach a goal, then it's like, there, there I go again. You know, I can never do it. Um, that's not who I am. I can't achieve these wonderful things. I never will measure up. And so uh, whether they realize it or not, um, uh, Valerie says that this group can also be, con they're, they're kind of like control freaks feeling like if they want something done right, they have to do it themselves. And so they're kind of setting themselves up for failure. And, uh, and then when they fail, uh, because they've set the bar so high or have these unrealistic expectations for themselves, now comes in the, the imposter syndrome. So see, you could never do this anyway. Um, she said this, not sure if this applies. Ask yourself these questions. Have you ever been accused of being a micromanager? Do you have great difficulty in delegating? Even when you're able to do so, do you feel frustrated and disappointed with the results? When you miss the, and I love how she puts insanely high mark on something, do you accuse yourself of not being cut out for your job and then ruminated on it for days? And you feel like your work must be 100% perfect 100% of the time. Because for this group, success, even, even success is, isn't satisfying uh, because there's always this belief that I could have done better. Um, and that's not productive, nor is it healthy. So owning and celebrating achievements, um, she said, is essential to if you want to avoid burnout, find contentment and cultivate self-confidence. So that's a, that's a big point with perfectionism is, you know, if you recognize any of those signs in you, um, I will guess that you probably feel like you are, um, you are, you're this imposter. You can never quite live up to this measure that you've set for yourself. And, uh, and so therefore, you know, this imposter syndrome will continually rule the day. Uh, so number two, let me jump over here. Number two, and I think this is one that I run into the most in my practice. So it's the Superman or Superwoman. So Valerie Young says, some people who experience this phenomenon are convinced that they're phonies among real deal colleagues. So they often push themselves to work harder and harder to measure up, but it's a false cover up for their insecurities. Um, so this is a big one too. Again, not just in companies, 
I have a, a great story um, of, uh, of someone that I have worked with who is extremely successful in the business that they are involved in. I wish I could say more. And maybe at some point I will. Um, I, I think that it would be fun to bring this person on. But, uh, but they don't necessarily have the degree or that sort of thing. And so they feel like even as they celebrate their achievements or, or try to recruit people to their cause or that sort of thing, they feel like um, people are saying, well, who's this person that's doing it? You know, why would they? And is that a productive thought? It's not. If you are, if you are accomplishing what you want to or chasing after your dreams, all of that negative, those negative voices that, that, that pile into your own negative self-talk are 100% not productive. That's somebody who is, you know, they are not, uh, they are not in charge of what your goals or hopes or feelings are, your core values, your beliefs, that sort of thing. So this, uh, this one's pretty important. Do you stay later at the office than the rest of your team, even past the point that you've completed the day's necessary work? Do you get stressed when you're not working and find downtime completely wasteful? Here's a big one I see. Have you let your hobbies and passions fall by the wayside, sacrifice to work? And do you feel like you haven't truly earned your title? That's a big one. Um, in this one, it, she even says, despite numerous degrees or achievements, so you feel pressed to work harder and longer around those to prove your worth. So imposter workaholics uh, are actually addicted to the validation that comes from working. They feel like if they don't have that, okay, you're doing it, you're doing it, you know, that validation that then, um, that they're, then they're doing something wrong. And then again, here comes slides in that imposter syndrome to tell them that what are you even trying to do, right? So uh, if that is you, as you become more in tune to kind of internal validation, or you are going after the things that you are passionate about or that you believe in, um, and you kind of nurture that inner confidence, then, uh, then you're going to be able to, as Valerie Young says, you'll be able to ease off the gas as you gauge how much work is reasonable and hopefully be able to be present and, uh, and appreciate the things that you are doing that you enjoy doing and not worry about feeling like you don't measure up to your colleagues around you. Um, because I'll tell you, they go back to this one. Most of them are, are struggling with the imposter syndrome as well. And they're seeing you, the person who maybe isn't as degreed or diplomaed, um, who is doing just as well. So the imposter syndrome person is saying, holy cow, you know, I, uh, I did, I have all this schooling. Why am I not as successful as this other person? We're all playing the same game. That's what uh, kind of cracks me up. Um, I'll, I'll rally through these others real fast. The natural genius. People who struggle with this are natural geniuses. They judge their success based on their abilities as opposed to their efforts. So the natural genius is the person that kind of everything has come easy to. And so if, if what they're trying to do doesn't come easy, then they just feel like they shouldn't even try at all. Um, you know, if you're used to excelling without much effort, then you just feel like, okay, if I do have to put some effort, then I'm a complete failure. Everybody's going to find out and, uh, and I can't even do this. And, you know, those of us who see this natural genius in these other areas and, and we want them to come to our cause or play in our sandbox or, or we want to be around them, you know, we see them try a little something, maybe try, maybe not even try and then back off. And we're saying, man, no, with your set of skills, you'd be great here. But uh, we don't realize that what's going on for them is if they aren't perfect at it right out of the gate, then they're saying, I'm an imposter. This isn't me. Uh, and so I, I want to go over some of these. It says, do you have a track record of getting straight A's or gold stars and everything you do? Were you told frequently as a child that you were the smart one in your, or in your family or peer group? Do you dislike the idea of having a mentor because you can handle things on your own? And when you're faced with a setback, do you, does your confidence tumble because you're not performing well? Do you feel like that provokes a feeling of shame? And do you often avoid challenges because it's so uncomfortable to try something you're not great at? That is, that is such a big one right there. So again, the imposter syndrome title is, uh, this is of the natural genius. And I want to throw just an anecdotal thing that I've found over the years as being a therapist. Um, I work with a lot of, a lot of teenagers. I think I mentioned that in the past and especially a lot of teenage boys. And one of those other um, things that you can almost set your clock by is that when somebody is coming to me, there's maybe a struggle, a struggle in grades. 
And uh, the, you know, and if I get a parent in here, who's kind of laying out the, here's why we're coming in, it will be, you know, it's always stuff about the phone and, but it's also about the grades. Um, you know, grades are bad, going to fail, that sort of thing. Kids usually just sitting there, um, parent leaves the room. And then I found over the years that I feel like there's this phenomenon where in particular with a kid who has been really good, get straight A's without trying hard, that then there's almost this, uh, this, um, natural process that happens where let's say it's sixth, seventh or eighth grade middle school still, and they don't have to put out much effort. They can kind of get their homework done at school They get by a lot on their charm and they get good grades. You move into high school and now there's a little more homework required. And so then it's, I watch is almost like freshman, sophomore year. Um, when parent leaves the room and they're telling me about these grade struggles where the kid will say, yeah, I mean, I just gotta get some stuff turned in. I'm kind of a little bit behind, but I'll, I'll rally, I'll figure it out. And oftentimes then when a semester quarter ends, then they did, they pulled it all together. But then at some point I feel like, and I, I now tell these people this, just kind of, uh, here are my thoughts, I'll say, is um, that inevitably they're going to find this time or moment where then all of a sudden the workload is, it has increased so much that they can't quite just skate by or pull in at the last minute and get good grades. And then once that happens, now the bad grades come and, uh, and then typically then the next quarter semester, they'll say, okay, I'm not let that happen again, but they haven't still taken it as seriously. And so I'm finding it's almost like this two quarter or two semester, you know, once the, the grades go off the rails, um, problem where until then somebody says, okay, I got to do things different. So I, I got to tell you in my practice, oftentimes I'm trying to share that is just a, Hey, uh, you know, was it easy for you throughout middle school? And have you been able to kind of just, just hit it at the wire, you know, so far in high school, but it's getting a little bit harder. And then sometimes I get to lay out, okay, here's where we're headed. So maybe it is time to start getting those study skills developed or a little more accountability or that sort of thing. So, um, but again, that one goes under number three, the natural genius. Uh, the last two, the rugged individualist, this one's pretty short. Um, uh, Valerie Young says, suffers who feel as though asking for help reveals their phoniness or what Young calls rugged individualists. It's okay to be independent, but not to the extent that you refuse assistance so you can pro prove your worth. And I love this one. I'll get the stories in my office where somebody's saying, it's, these stories at work, they're all passionate, they're fired up. You know, and this person didn't even, uh, you know, they didn't tell me how to do this. And, and how was I expected to do this? And, and sometimes I, I found myself saying, so what happened when you, when you mentioned this? Or what happened when you shared this? And it's like, oh, I can't tell them. I'm not saying anything about that. I don't want to look weak, you know? And so uh, I kind of think, okay, that's probably not going to work out right. Um, so this one says the rugged individualist via imposter syndrome, um, says, ask yourself these questions. Do you firmly feel that you need to accomplish things on your own? Um, I don't need anybody's help. If that's something that you're often saying, does that sound like you? And do you frame requests in terms of the requirements of the project rather than your needs as a person? You're not going to say that you, Hey, I'm wondering if I, or what happens if we, it's like, tell me what you want to do on this project again. And your thoughts are often, I'll figure it out. Right. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it's great. But over time, if that's a, if that's a recurring theme, um, that's another form of imposter syndrome because it's saying that basically if I even say I need any kind of help, then they're going to say, aha, you are not, you know, as impressive as I thought you once were, which is completely uh, or not the case. Last but not least, uh, in Valerie Young's book, The Expert, that is the last um, person that says people who fall into this competence type may feel like they somehow tricked their employer into hiring them. And uh, they deeply fear being exposed as inexperienced or unknowledgeable. A big one. This is a big one, right? Do you shy away from applying to job postings unless you meet every single educational requirement? So go back in the world of therapy and I've got people that maybe aren't very happy or unsatisfied. Maybe that's even led to addiction or unsatisfaction in their marriage. 
And so then I'm working on them to raise that emotional baseline. We often find that they aren't happy with their career. So then we say, okay, let's just even start looking and explore what another job or career would look like. And this is one of the first things I find, you know, it's like, well, I don't know how to do that. Or I don't have all of these things that uh, this job listing says. So do you shy away from applying because you don't meet every single requirement? Are you constantly seeking out trainings or certifications because you think that you need to improve your skills in order to succeed? Excuse me. Or even if you've been in a role for some time, can you relate to feeling like you still don't know enough? And, uh, and then do you shudder? I love uh, She says, do you shudder sometimes when somebody says that you're an expert? So, and of course, the bulking up your skill set will certainly help you. And, but, but this is kind of working from that place where that until you are, it kind of goes back to a little bit of that perfectionism, right? That until you feel like you have things completely mastered and perfect, that you will, um, you're, you're still going to be exposed as a fraud. There's where that imposter syndrome comes in. Uh, Valerie Young says, realize there's no shame in asking for help when you need it. It goes back to being vulnerable, right? If you don't know how to do something, ask a coworker. If you can't figure out how to solve a problem, seek advice from a supportive supervisor or even a career coach. So um, no matter the specific struggle or, the, or, you know, whatever one of these imposter syndrome types that you may have, um, just know that Valerie Young says in her book, this is over a decade of research, that if you struggle with confidence that you're, you're far from alone, uh, one example suggests, the study suggests 70% of people experience imposter syndrome at, point, at some point in their career. And I'm just talking about career. Move that into your life in, in home as a as a husband, father, wife, mother, um, you know, uh, employee, church servant, um, community organizer, whatever that is. And I would say that number is probably going to go up even more. So, but it, you know, if you've experienced it at any point in your career, Valerie Young says you've at one point or another chalked up your accomplishments to chance or charm or connections or another external factor, but how unfair and unkind is that, right? How about the fact that you, you are good at what you do, or you can learn and adapt or you are a personable um, person who can be vulnerable and, uh, and not be exposed as an imposter and continue to find different opportunities to succeed in your life. So um, she says, take today as your opportunity to start accepting and embracing your capabilities. I have to throw one quick plug in and again here at the end of this uh, episode for just that whole concept of vulnerability. I mean, that's still kind of what we're, we're working with, right? And uh, vulner vulnerability and adaptability. So if there is something that you want to learn or do or discover, um, you might have to be a little bit more vulnerable and, and go out and ask people and not be worried about, you know, having to look like the expert or not, you know, setting the bar up so high as a perfectionist that you worry that people are going to say, oh, my gosh, that we just discovered we just found this guy out. So uh, so thank you for taking the time to kind of explore these various um types of, of this imposter syndrome. Uh, if that is something that you struggle with, um, there's some nice resources. You can look up Valerie Young's book. And, uh, and, and honestly, a little bit of a Google on this one, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of good info because imposter syndrome is more, it's, it's more prevalent than we think it is. But, but from my standpoint, this all goes back to why I started with that concept from the happiness trap is, is that things are just, there's a lot of stories that our mind tells us. And the majority of them are not true. And I will tell you that if, if any of these thoughts, these imposter syndrome-like thoughts are not leading you toward a more rich, robust, and fulfilling life, then let's kind of chalk those up to those just stories that your brain is telling you, that your mind is telling you. So let's, let's look back and identify what those core values or beliefs or goals are that you have. And if these thoughts or stories aren't, aren't playing into to those goals, core values, beliefs, 
then just, just label them, label them as not productive. And then let's learn to just move those right on through your brain. So you can get back to those productive thoughts. And it is an exercise. It is doing, it is doing work for the brain. The more you do that, the more your brain's going to recognize that, oh man, we don't get to sit here for the pity, you know, for the pity. Um, he's going to try to go all positive on us again. And over time, your brain's going to try, but then it's going to know that, all right, here's what we do. He's, uh, he's either staying focused or being present in the moment or turning to his breathing or whatever he's doing, uh, he or she are doing and, uh, to, to make sure we aren't acting upon those negative thoughts. All right, folks, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, big episode coming up later on this week uh, and then plenty more coming up in the future. And please send me a note at contact at pathbackrecovery.com or there is a um, their form on the virtualcouch.xyz page if you want to ask questions, have suggestions for episodes or guests, that sort of thing. Uh, but please kind of keep that feedback coming. I am so grateful for it. And even after doing a... Um, episode on the imposter syndrome. Of course, even as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, okay, why is anybody going to listen to me talk about the imposter syndrome? Because I'm an imposter. So, uh, but I'm going to, that's not a productive thought. I'm going to move that one on through and I will see you next time here on the virtual couch. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most Heal the legs and hearts you broke The pain is warm.